0: Sixers Beat is brought to you by GameTime, your new go to app for the best deals on last minute tickets. Did you know NBA ticket prices tend to drop right before the game starts? GameTime tracks prices in real time from thousands of trusted sellers, then shows you all the best last minute deals, with prices up to 60% off. More than 12 million fans have downloaded the GameTime app and discovered the fastest, easiest way to get in the game. Right now, I can get tickets for tomorrow's game against the Cleveland Cavaliers for just under $20, and GameTime will give me seat view photos from every section to help me find the right location. But Game Time is more than just sports tickets, and you can get tickets to live music or the theater as well, and you can do so with a quick, easy two-tap checkout. So head on over to the App Store or Play Store now to download GameTime and score awesome deals on last-minute tickets. All right, welcome, everybody. This is Derek Bonder. Joined by Rich Hoffman on this week's Sixers Beat, a part of the Athletics Podcast Network. A decidedly different tone than the last time we did a podcast. Rich, how you doing? I'm doing good, man. How are uh,
1: How are you recovering from the the long West Coast road trip?
0: Yeah, I'm a little, just got back from a three-game and five-night road trip. A little bit, uh, you know, still living out of suitcase, a little bit jet-lagged. We are recording this prior to the Sixers game Sunday before the Charlotte Hornets for context reasons. So I just got back last night It a uh, fantastic road trip for me. Personally, I had never been out to that part of the country. I actually, when I was uh, before we get into the, the basketball portion and we will get into the basketball portion because there is a lot to talk about with your five and three Philadelphia 76ers, which I did not expect to say when we started that road trip, but I basically looked at it and it was an eight hour drive from Salt Lake city to Denver And I started adding up, you know, getting to the Salt Lake City airport, you get there an hour and a half early, so you make sure you can get through TSA and all that, add in the flight, get to Denver, get your luggage, there's it's like an hour drive from the Denver airport to Center City, and I added it all up, and it'd be like three extra hours for me to drive, and I had never seen the Rockies. So I decided, you know what, screw it, I can, I have the three hours to waste, I'm going to rent a car and drive between cities. And on the one hand, it was fantastic, because Rich, it was absolutely gorgeous, like it was... I'll never forget when I went to the Grand Canyon for the first time, and it was all honesty. and I don't, I don't mean, like, this isn't hyperbole. It was a, a life-changing experience. Like, you sit there, and you're like, I can't believe stuff like this actually exists. And <laughs> I felt the same way going through the Rocky Mountains. And I'm very happy I did that. The one downside is I'm driving, and I'm a amateur photographer at heart. Like, I love, I have a DSLR. I have a drone that I use to take pictures. I love taking pictures. And I had should, neither of those. You way. should have done
1: the Matisse story. You, you actually can speak his language
0: a little bit. <laughs> you, you did a fantastic, I, I would have actually focused on solely on photography. And I think <laughs> where you took it was, was better, but I, you know, I have sort of like if I was if ranking my dream jobs and this is pretty freaking far up there on it, which I'm incredibly thankful for, but like outside the fact that I don't have the talent or the patience to do so, like a national geographic photographer would be pretty far up on my dream job list. So getting the chance to drive through this was great. But I didn't have the time to really stop and, like, I wanted to stop in every mountain range and and check it out. I wanted to have my photography gear with me and take pictures, and I couldn't. And that was a little disappointing. But the actual trip was absolutely fantastic, and I will certainly be adding the Rocky Mountains to my list of places to to see. I stopped in a little town called Aspen, Colorado. Never heard of it. John Denver is not full of shit. It was it was it was great. It was great.
1: The uh, it sounded like a better trip. Than me driving through the everglades last <laughs> yes. year accidentally it seems like you uh you saw some better stuff so that is good <laughs> the uh the sixers on the other hand not not as good of a trip not to the rocky mountains
0: you know it's it's funny when you look at this if i look at this team in terms of, of what happened from a team aspect on this trip i'm a lot less concerned because look and you brought this up pre-pod so i uh, i apologize for stealing he, your thunder he's stealing my take <laughs> i'm right stealing now. your take but you're right like Embiid and, and and Simmons played a half a game together out of these four games. You know, obviously Embiid missed the first two because he was suspended.
1: That's even generous, by the way. They they played a quarter together. Yeah.
0: And and yeah, right. And even like five and minutes, and minutes in the and game. Even that five was minutes. Yeah. yeah. Uh so Embiid missed the first two games with suspension. Simmons basically missed the last two games because of his shoulder injury. And at the end of the day, they lost by what, five points, three points, and two points, or was it a one point loss? I forget the last one. Two, three Western Conference, certainly two Western Conference playoff teams. Two teams who might end up being in the top four of the Western Conference, and then the Phoenix Suns, who are one of the real upstart surprise stories of the season. So, are any of those individually a terrible loss? No. And even you know, if they'd gone two and two, I think we'd probably be sitting here and saying that goes according to plan. So, the fact that they lost one extra coin flip game—is it reason to panic? No, not at all. Like, and I'm sitting here. I'm sitting here, and this is probably not going to be the most positive podcast we've ever had, and I apologize about that in advance but i'm sitting here i still expect them to win 55 plus games like i my evaluation of the team in that regard hasn't changed and i mean my evaluation hasn't changed overall it's just some of the concerns you may have had you might now have a little more data to say yeah that's still a valid concern and that concerns me when we're we're talking about championship quality basketball and the low margins we have to get to that point
1: yeah. You know what, though? I, I think I'm going to be more positive th- than most people are. And w- we should specify that we are recording this on Sunday morning. We're going to release this Monday after the Sixers win on Sunday night. I'm calling it. I'm calling a win <laughs> against the Charlotte Hornets tonight.
0: That's when the panic happens.
1: If, uh, if I'm wrong, well, I mean, you can, you can blame me. That's fair. The, uh, but, but again, I, like Derek said, I do, uh, I do expect them to, to run off a bunch of wins in the, in the next, I don't know, week, week and a half plus here. Schedule gets pretty soft. Still a decent amount of road games, but I, I think they're going to be fine. And I'm not worried really about the one and three aspect of the road trip. I, I do understand the, um, the concern is mostly about Ben and Joe. And we, we talked about Ben last podcast. About his, uh, unwillingness to shoot and regardless of the work that he put in, we're just not seeing any evidence that he even wants to try it in a game, which is disappointing. And then Joe's offensive game, specifically the last couple of nights playing against and against good players against Rudy Gobert, who is, you know, the best defensive player in the league by, you know, by the vote. He, he won defensive player of the year and. I think for the most part, he's more considered a rim protector, but he's also hard to post up just because he's so yep. giant. And Joe got him a couple times, but again, Rudy is just so long that that he's hard to score against. And Jokic is not a good defender. I would say he's probably average, although I think in, in most years, Denver is a little bit better when he plays just because – I guess maybe because he's smart and he has quick hands and all that stuff. But he does uh, – he does hold up well against Joe in the post just because he's huge. And, uh, that was obviously something that was a big, uh, big topic, but it's a big boy. And he, uh, he is not somebody that Joe can overpower in the same way, uh, he can handle John Collins or, right. or, or other people, Jared
0: right. Allen. Yeah.
1: yeah. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and, and Joe was bad in the, uh, I would say in both games, but he was particularly bad against Denver. Those are just bad turnovers, just putting yep. the ball on the floor in, in bad spots. Um, you know, he, he does not look like he's in, in the best of shape. I think Brad even alluded that to that after the game. I, uh, as a quick aside, he basically
0: said we need to get Joel Embiid back to being Joel Embiid is, is essentially what he said, which is not exactly the phrase you want to hear.
1: Yeah. Uh, as a quick aside, this is the reason why preseason. Sixers content when it's training camp and all we're doing is, you know, maybe we're seeing two minutes of a scrimmage or, or just them shooting afterwards and we hear their quotes. Oh, Ben is shooting it great. Joel is in great shape. Maybe we do have to kind of see it. It's, it, it seems kind of useless. All the stuff you heard just, just a month ago. I, uh, I will say w- with Joe. I am a little worried about his, his offense and, and that is also just kind of his role on the team. We've, we've talked about this ad nauseum. There's no, no Butler. He's talked about this ad nauseum. There's no Butler. There's no Reddick. Uh, the, the spacing is a little more cramped, but, but I also think like in terms of him getting in shape, while I think it's totally fair for people to be disappointed in that, we also, you know, I think back to last year. And that April, I don't know what the date exactly was, but it was the day before the playoffs started. And Joe finally talked to the media and we said, are you playing tomorrow? And he said, I don't know. And it was shocking. Like you thought he was just dealing with this kind of tendonitis, and he was ramping up for the playoffs and he legitimately didn't know. And despite the fact that the Sixers made it within one shot of the Eastern Conference Finals. The way Joe, and some of it was illness, so that's, you know, you can't really control that, but with the tendonitis and the illness, he was not 100% prepared to play in those games. And he was bad offensively in that Toronto series, despite the fact that the Sixers were comically bad when, uh, the, the second he hit the bench. And I just, I just think back to that, and I'm thinking, you know, as much as I'm not, you know, I, I wouldn't be pleased with how he has started the year, we also he also has five months to figure this out, and, and that is what ultimately matters. So yeah, uh, and
0: he he does tend to get in better shape as he plays more, uh, like, and there's good and bad to that. Good and the fact that he should be playing pretty regularly here. Bad in that and he needs to do a better job of getting in shape when he doesn't have a court to run up and down and a game yeah. to play. And that needs to be I mean, I, the fact that we're still this far into his career, and this is a this is a point of contention every year. Like I, I we look at these quotes from Brett and. You know, here's a quote: "We're growing Joel's fitness base and trying to continually move that forward where he can be Joel Embiid. We're going to continue to just get him health as healthy as we can and help put him in a position where he can be Joel Embiid." And the frequency that I hear that quote and that we have to talk about Joel's fitness base is concerning. And I do think it will get better as the season goes on.
1: That is something that players do too. They, they work themselves into shape throughout the year. I mean, we, we always talk about the comps with Shaq. He would do that all the time and it's sure, not sure,
0: but Shaq's not the comp that I think we want to make here, or at least that we would prefer to make.
1: No, no, I, I'm not saying it's a good thing, but I'm saying why it's like not ultimately worrying me about, about the playoffs just yet. I would no. say, I also can, can I add one more thing too? Yep. I looked up uh, and again, some of this is because, uh, he got in a little fight with uh, with uh Towns. But last year, I mean, it, it's quite the contrast from last year. When he was playing early in the season, he was playing, I would say, at an MVP level. And he was playing, I think he played all eight of the games, 34.6 minutes per game. And you look at the other night, I don't know exactly what he's at this year. I think he's at 29 minutes per game, and he's only played five of them. Again, two of those were mandatory load management but you know part of the reason the Nuggets won that game was because all of their starters played over 35 minutes and no Sixers starter played 30 uh more than 33 now to be fair the Sixers bench was amazing but they went all out for that game and Embiid played 29 minutes so I do think like at least in on that front like it, there seems to be an idea of let's work him in t- to the season the November doesn't matter as much but I, I mean I hear what you're saying like you don't want to compare him to Shaq being out of shape. Like Shaq was, I mean, kind of an outlier case. You know, the league was different and all these things. I don't want to compare him to him as a player, but I, I do want to make that comparison that it, as the more he plays during the season, I do think he's going to get into better shape.
0: I do think he'll get into better shape. I will, I will agree with you there. Um, I can be disappointed in the fact that he is not in good enough shape right now, but I do agree that he will get into better shape as the season goes on, assuming there are no setbacks. And that's always the concern, right? Like, Joel's never finished a season healthy. You had Markell's shoulder and his eye socket. You had the tendonitis last season. And the moment he can't play every day is when these issues really prop up. And so uh, not only are you concerned about losing Joel Embiid because he has a history of not being available for the full season, but if that happens, not only do you lose him for those games, but you get a suboptimal Joel Embiid when he does come back. And, you know, you brought up the Toronto series and, you know, we talk about the illness he had, about the tendonitis, but there's also the Marcus aspect of that series too. Yep. And it's more the archetype of that kind of player, even of a Jokic type player who's nowhere near the defender, but is that wide body who can, you know, sort of stand up to him on his initial thrust in the paint on a post up that I think we see a lot of these issues. And as much as I'm willing to say he would have been better in that Toronto series if he were healthy, if he were not sick, I'm not sure he ever has a great series against Marcus playing the style that he plays and the um, you know, sort of the flaws that he currently has. And by that I mean great offensively. I don't see a, a 25 point per game efficient low turnover series from him. And we do, you know Joel's fantastic. Like we all agree top 10 player. I think a lot of people try to get him into that top three to five category, that true MVP caliber player. And I think in order to do that, he has to correct some of these flaws. In order to do that, in order to actually be a championship team who can beat the Clippers, I think they need him playing at an MVP level. So, you know, if we have a down podcast where we talk about Joel Embiid, it's not that he's not an incredible player who makes a Sixers contender. He is. We've beat that drum for a long time, but you need to see these two stars take that next step in order to become true, legitimate MVP, MVP caliber players to put the Sixers on a path where they can be not only a, a championship team, but a dynasty. Like those are the stakes that we're talking about here. So when we're frustrated, it's not because he's not a terrific player who makes the Sixers relevant. It's because they're on the doorsteps of a dynasty. And if they can correct some of these flaws, they can achieve that. They can achieve sort of that basketball immortality that I don't know, like we're different now because we're in a media but I I was a sports fan growing up my whole life. Like I'll never forget that Phillies, the Phillies run is the one which I'll go back to because that was sort of like my last moment as a fan before I really got into this industry. And I'll never, I'll never forget that run that, you know, Oh seven through 11 run. And I'm going to include some of those that 102 win season in there because we could get into a a discussion about basketball or baseball and playoffs and, and, and variants and, and, Different podcast, but that, that was a great part of the run, too. And I really strive, as a fan, I strive for moments like that. And the Sixers are so fucking close, Rich. They're so close. And if you're a fan listening to this podcast, that's what I would want. I would want that dynasty. And I think you need Joel Embiid to be a better offensive player, not score more points. You know, I think when we talked about goals coming into the season, fewer points, use fewer possessions, be more efficient, be more of a facilitator, and I don't see that step right now.
1: Yeah, it really felt like a lack of a plan. You know, we kind of talked about that with Ben with uh kind of him spacing, you know, in no man's land and driving into bans and running into a brick wall. I mean, Joe putting the ball on the floor in these multiple spin moves and it just seems like he doesn't have a sweet spot right now where
0: he has he has such a spin move fetish right now and it's driving me insane.
1: I I just wish he would have gotten you know, I think they would have won that game against Denver if in the fourth quarter. And, and by the way, I, I saw a lot of criticism for, uh, for Brett Brown and how they ran the offense the other night. Uh, the way they built the lead in the third quarter or in the first three quarters was exactly how they played in the fourth quarter. They ran a ton of spread and pick and roll with the two little guards. And by the way, there's a little bit of a positive, uh, spin. Yeah, Trey well. Burke and, and, and Howell I mean, Howell Neto has been playing well for a few games now. Trey Burke was excellent and, and KOQ yeah, and
0: the shots didn't go in, but the shot quality, I think was something I was, I was okay with.
1: Yeah. That's a, that's a nice option to have. And I mean, we don't need to even talk about. her, you know, maybe we should save it for another pod, but Ferkey is playing, you know, I'm yep. the biggest Furky skeptic in the world. He is playing great basketball right now. That, uh, that pump fake, he, he threw Gar- Gary Harris the other night. Like Gary Harris was scared of Ferkey getting that shot off. Uh, <laughs> It was uh, I, I thought the uh, that was the bummer of the Denver game. The bench played terrific. K.O.Q. Yep. was awesome in that in that game. By the way, I love uh, there, there's two things, and we we've said this before, but uh, Ferky's uh penchant to throw behind the back passes, and Denver yep. gave him one in the pick and roll that he hit Orford on. Uh, that's funny. And K.O.Q. when he uh when he gets the ball in the dunker spot and finishes man that that guy has some powerful below the rim finishes he doesn't jump at all but man he throws his body in the guys and uh, and he's he's had a couple really nice ones it reminded me of the one he had in that quick stint against Boston in the first game but uh yeah very good bench game the uh yeah i just thought if joe i don't know man i wish he would have faced jokic up from about 12 to 14 if he gave him the shot shoot it you know that yeah. you're a good shooter from that spot and i think simplifying it w- would have been better there's just i don't know what uh what is going on in his head with these spin moves and and putting the ball on the floor in traffic but it's a lot of the bad habits that we've seen in past years that are kind of the the pump fake and drive from the the top of the key those were those are bad turnovers last night i thought uh i thought against I love, U- I
0: love how you say last night when we're now two days removed from it
1: yeah, I don't know. I don't know what time is just <laughs> rid- ridiculous to me. I don't, uh, I don't know where I am. It's been well, a, it's,
0: we're two days removed from written. The podcast will come out three days after and we're still getting last nights.
1: Yeah. Oh, well, the, uh, <laughs> I, I think maybe because I watched the game uh, yesterday That's fair. as well, That's fair. but, uh, yeah, I, uh, I gotta do better. I'm with you. So yeah, I just think he, uh, he needs to simplify it and, uh, you know, it, I'm not worried about him moving forward. He's going to kill in these next couple of games when he plays against these, these smaller, you know, players. And I'm sure Ben will, you know, Ben Ben will start to shoot better against those guys as well. But it's like you said, the, uh, kind of the process of them getting better for, uh, you know, to become championship level one and and two options. It, It hasn't been the best start to the season for that. That's for sure.
0: And it's more like you know people will say it's like overreaction to eight games, and I mean, look,
1: that, I'm not overreacting. They they are absolutely still winning fifty five games. They the fact I, that I they agree. were as, as a as a team, the fact that they were in those games, despite the fact that in the last two nights, Horford did not play well at all. Offensively, yep. I mean, think about even even if we just boil it down to that last shot. Joe oh. did, Joe did a nice job getting a post up at yep. the end of the game. Hits Al with a great pass. Jokic is like he's like five feet away from him. He's not contesting a shot out there.
0: He missed by a mile. I know. If and, and so so much of analysis is does the ball go in the basket? Like you look at those last three plays specifically. You know, if Brad Stevens calls up a play to force a double team down low and get Horford a straightaway three, and he makes it. Everyone talks about how much of a genius Brad Stevens is. Sixers draw up that play, Embiid draws a double team, passes out wide open, he misses by three feet. He has a a white man can't jump moment where the the wind just pushed the ball over. (laughs) And he you know, and then you have the broken play where Jokic gets a game winner. Then you have Embiid get called for an offensive foul, which was quite frankly bullshit. Like there was not an offensive foul there. Bad bad foul.
1: Bad foul and good play.
0: (laughs) Good play. It would have gotten Joe
1: a seal. For, for absolutely. a lap, He would have absolutely gotten fouled. And I mean, we, we can talk, you know, just from that game to like, how about you guys make a free throw in the second half? <laughs> yeah. You know, yep. when, when you end up losing essentially by one point, I think it was three points at the end of the game because they, they fouled, yeah. but it, you lost a one possession game. There, there was so much that went into it. The, the Nuggets in the fourth quarter. And I, I think we, we kind of talked about this off, uh, off air for the first three quarters, the Sixers were making a lot of shots and uh
0: yep. one Nine one little from 3 in the first half it was insane
1: one little brief detail on that though i know a lot of people especially after the utah game they get they get frustrated with the sixers pick and roll coverage with with how conservative it can be and how they they give up open shots in the middle and i'm not saying it's perfect but when you play pick and roll defense in the nba you're always giving up something yep and the nuggets with jokic who is immobile and uh and plumlee who's a little more mobile but not not mobile enough to do this they had those guys way up on those screens. And Neto and Harris and, and Burke were blowing by those guys. And basically the way their coverage worked was they had to help from the weak side. And there's your 9 for 12 in the first yep. in the first half. No, hand. they, the they, they generated,
0: like there's, there's two aspects. There's a little bit of variance. Like they're not going to make 9 of 12 even wide open looks. And that helped them stay in the game. But they generated legitimate quality looks. Like I think a lot of times we look at just the total of three-point attempts and don't take quality into it. And location and time and, and and ability to get your feet set and all that stuff, and those were definitely very high quality looks that they had for sure.
1: And I thought they defended pretty well in the in the first half, first three quarters. But there was some of Joe was just hanging out by the basket, and Jokic was short on everything to start yep. the game. And then in the fourth quarter, he started making a lot of them, and and it ends with him kind of making a BS shot at the end. But you know, it, it was one of those games. It, it's very similar to the entire road trip. It probably wasn't as good as it looked. In the first three quarters, like just like it was probably not as good as it was when it was five and five and zero, but also the fourth quarter and the the one and three stretch here, it's probably not as bad as it seemed. And the fact that you know there were so many things that uh, the main one is just that Simmons and Embiid did not play together. Yep, you did not get kind of you know it it was just tough. They they got a great Al Horford performance in Phoenix, lost the game if they would have gotten an average one in Utah they would have won a game. So so to me the fact that they found a way to be in all of those games to me is like kind of encouraging, honestly. They, th- those are not easy games to win. Uh they were not favored in any of those games. So, I, you know, I, I think more of the concern here is kind of the the big picture stuff, but even with that, I would say that there's still kind of a long way to go before we settle that.
0: Yeah, yeah, no Team-wise, the 1-3 the record on the trip doesn't bother me too much. Uh, my focus is very much on, on can they beat the Clippers? What do they need to do to win a, a championship? All right, let's, uh, let's continue that championship talk in a bit, but we're getting pretty far into this pod, and we need to hear from our sponsors, so let's take a quick break to tell you about DoorDash. Long day at work, tough day at school, still stuck at the office? Treat yourself to the meal you deserve, and have your favorite restaurants come to you with DoorDash. DoorDash connects you to your favorite restaurants in your city, and ordering is easy. Open the DoorDash app, choose what you want to eat, and your food will be delivered to you wherever you are. With door to door delivery in all 50 states in Canada, order from your local go to's or choose from your favorite national restaurants like Chipotle's, Wendy's, Chick fil A, and the Cheesecake Factory. Right now, our listeners can get $5 off their first order of $15 or more when you download the DoorDash app and enter promo code Sixers. That's $5 off your first order when you download the DoorDash app from the App Store and enter promo code Sixers. Don't forget, that's promo code SIXERS for $5 off your first order from DoorDash. And now back to the show. We talk about the goal for this team as a championship, and it is. But really, the goal for this team is a championship at best two over the next five years. So, even like through that vein, like what you want to see is improvement in your two star players. And if you're disappointed by that, I don't think you're entirely wrong. Like, I don't think they've taken the step you hope specifically in their 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 biggest weaknesses um you know I do think I think joel gets tunnel vision at times and I think he wants to dominate those matchups so much that he plays recklessly and you would love to see a little bit more patience you'd love to see a little more of him establishing position rather than calling for the ball I'd love to see you know him survey the floor a little more and, and not look so bullheaded on driving to the rim there's just so many little things that I think he can do better. And it comes down to wasted possessions. Like you all just wastes too many possessions offensively that I think he can, you know, kick out, repost, find the cutter. Like there's no doubt in my mind that he has a passing ability to play more of a, a facilitation role offensively. Like it's not a vision thing to me. It's a, it's a tunnel vision thing at times to me. And it would, it would, I don't know it's, if you're looking for progress, we just haven't seen it yet this year.
1: It kind of felt like the playoffs in that, that's a scenario where you have to value every possession, and, yeah. and it's like you said. Sometimes he would throw a great pass. I think he had one against uh, Utah, where, by the way, they're they're now screening on his uh, on his post ups, which is yep. something I know a lot of people were were calling for, and it seems they have a very basic kind of screening action where the two guys at the top screen and the two guys on the weak side screen. He he hit furkey for just a, a beautiful cross-court dime. And that's kind of always what's frustrating with him. He has the ability to throw a great pass out of the post. But the problem is he can't string those possessions together. And, yeah. uh yeah, it just felt like even in the Denver game where, you know, he had a couple of those turnovers, and I, I don't know how many points Denver scored in transition off turnovers, but if I had to guess, it was probably six or eight, and, and it was a direct result of him losing the ball and if they didn't score right away it was you know they they weren't matched up on the other end and it's you know we know how hard it is to score against the sixers half court defense yep but yeah it just seems like he uh he did not string together kind of the the mental intensity that you need to to close out a game on the road and that was that was a bummer cuz i as much as i say they uh You know, losing on Denver is not going to kill you.
0: When you're up by 21 in the third quarter, you should should. win the game,
1: right? You should win the game. And and that's, I'm not overlooking that.
0: The good teams just have ways to take advantage of these weaknesses. Like, I mean, we've, we've talked about Ben so much. And I like that the title of Mike's article was something like the absurdity of Ben Simmons still not shooting jumpers. But there's also some of that with Joel, too. Like, get a big man who can stand him up wait for him to put on the ball, the ball on the ground and send your guards. And and more often than not, he's going to be careless with it. And you have a real chance to to pick his pocket. And that's sort of been the MO in the second round of each of the last two playoffs. That's been the MO against a lot of these really good opponents that he's gone up against. And we've we've seen a little bit of that here. And, and like I said, just a little bit of growth in the patience and the discipline offensively. And, and this team is virtually unstoppable and Embiid's virtually unstoppable. And if you're talking about MVP caliber level, if you're talking about that being the benchmark and winning a championship, if you're a little disappointed by the play, I, I, I agree. I hear you. I hear, I hear your point. Um,
1: <laughs> But, but again, I am not panicking for, for so, the full so, season for, for Embiid. I think he's going to get better and, and more in shape, but yeah, I think for, for him, I would say I'm more worried about Ben shooting than, than him figuring this out. But because to me, these are more easily fixable problems. It's, you know the, the, this is this is film study, this is just going to the right spots Ben, ben is like that's an actual skill that he needs to develop sure,
0: sure. and and a confidence aspect which is yeah. which is huge
1: would Joe, be, Joe be less confident
0: yeah yes I mean at times I think that would that would that would help him out you know it's just it's, to me it's frustrating with Joe because this is like the one weakness he hasn't been able to fix, and it's the one weakness that has carried over from his early days that still exists, and he's done such a good job of you know it, it's funny I, I, I see a lot of people fans frustrated fans which not exactly the the people you want to be using to set the narrative but you'll see him call him like a a low iq player and it's funny defensively i think he's an absurdly high iq player like i think he processes information defensively exceptionally quick makes the right rotations i think he communicates well and i think that's part of the reason outside of being 7 to 285 pounds that he's such a force but offensively there is still a a like it, it, it that's where you can see the inexperience, and we've been saying that now for four years, and it's the one area of his game that he hasn't really been able to make the uh, make the progress in. But, I'm with you. They'll win 55 games. I still think they have a very real shot of making the finals. But I grade this team on a championship curve, so it's, it's tough.
1: Yeah. Right. The, when IQ gets discussed, by the way, sometimes I hear, you know, people will be like, wow, Kobe Bryant was such a high IQ player. And when you listen to him talk, he obviously knows a ton about basketball, but when the final result are all these garbage shots that, uh, you know, I, I, I get it was a different era, but it, it feels like he's kind of, he, he's making the game too complicated I, in that sense, similar to how I, I thought sometimes Kobe did, but, uh, yeah. All
0: right. We had, uh, we had a mailbag. Let's try to get to some more positive discussions. So this one from John Snow at pick and poppy. Great name. Please discuss some aspects aspects of the team you are surprisingly pleased with. And the one he brought up was the bench. And I agree with you, it has been, especially the last couple of games here, you know, Matisse has struggled. Got a DNP CD in Denver. You know, Brown said he he planned on playing him in the second half, but his his little point guards, the way that he described it, which was fantastic, were playing well. So he ran with them and Matisse ended up getting a DNP CD. And, and by the way, I think Matisse probably earned a DNP CD. His offense like, was
1: really bad. The past it was
0: really bad, and even his, his defense hasn't been what it was. And you know, I think we we talked about, you know, sort of like it's sort of like a pitcher going through the second time through the lineup. You can pick apart some of the uh, some of the flaws, and I think some teams are now getting some film on him, figuring out how to bait bait him into you know some into taking advantage of his aggression. And now he's going to have to make the counter adjustment and get back to where he can he can make those plays without being out of position like he has been.
1: I've been very encouraged by the bench, and it's not a nightly occurrence. Kylo Quinn has had some rougher games where, I think against Portland, he wasn't very good, especially defensively, kind of guarding those pick and rolls. But it's nice that you have multiple players on this team who can step up in in any given night, and that's that's important because, again, these guys are bench players. They're not going to give the consistent level of play that we have spent this whole podcast kind of demanding from Joel and Ben. That's why they get paid the big bucks and, and, and all that stuff. But uh yeah, I thought the two little point guards were great. Neto is, he, he's good. I, I kind of see why Brett doesn't want him defensively, like why he said, I'd rather have Furkan than him on defense because he he can get kind of, you know, he can get shot over by by a bigger point guard but I, I do think he's a pretty good on-ball defender. You yep. know, he, he does a nice job staying in front of people. And Burke really did not – he did not get killed the other night. To me, I, um, I'd be a little bit worried about that moving forward. But, yeah, you know, Ennis has played – he's played pretty well crashing the boards. He's made some really nice finishes and in, in transition. I think Mike Scott quietly has just shot the ball really well to start the year and, and has made not, not only – you know, the, the open threes, but kind of somewhat semi contested threes to, to stop runs. I've been, I think they're certainly pleased with how he has started the year. Yeah. And, and also you have Horford just, you know, pu- playing on those backup units and, and pulling centers out. So yeah, I've been, uh, very encouraged with the bench. And I posed this question on Twitter yesterday. Would you rather have last year's start where Joe is playing at an MVP level? But you're looking around and you're saying, wow, this team is unbelievably shallow. I'm not sure he's going to be able to do this all year, especially because he was playing a ton of minutes. Or would you rather have the start of this year where he is not at his best? He, you know, physically or just, just on the court, but you're seeing a deeper team. And I said, you know, when you look at it through that lens, you you would much, obviously you'd much rather have both. But when you look at it through that lens, I think you'd rather have the start to this season, right?
0: Yeah, no, I, I have confidence Joel will get back to playing at that caliber of a level, and now whether he can do that against the best, of the best in the conference finals and the finals is a, a different conversation. But in terms of a regular season play, like I don't think Joel Embiid can't get back to that that level. You know, when I talk about disappointment with Embiid, it's first of all in shape, but also then the the one weakness that we spent much of this podcast talking about. It's not like I. He's going to we look at the stretch Hornets, Cavs, Magic, Thunder, Cavs, Knicks, like he's going to come out and he's going to
1: be a lot of points.
0: He's going to make this podcast sound completely stupid, but like his ability to dominate those teams and Ben's ability to dominate those teams and this team's ability to win 55 games has never been in question. It's not the benchmark we're measuring up against. Um, So, no, I would would rather have the, the deeper bench. The fact that he only played 29 minutes quote-unquote last night. That's a positive. They're playing him responsibly. And the Sixers were a chance to win that game. You know, you got that stretch from Kylo Quinn, and you could sit Horford and Embiid longer. I I like having that flexibility on the bench. I agree with you. There's not a player you look at and you say, night in, night out, he's going to be an impact player in this game. He's going to be a positive impact in this game. You just don't have that kind of consistency in these role-playing bench players. But you have enough where one or two of them should be able to step in and give you a boost. And who those one or two might be might change. On a night-to-night basis, but you should be able to get contributions from one or two guys. I agree with you, especially if if Ferky still keeps playing like he is right now. Like having that option, and we said this the last podcast. Still not a hundred percent sold on on him keeping this going, but if they do, they need his skill set. That would uh, be a that would be a nice head. How uh, about that step
1: if, back three you took? Almost broke the backboard on that one. <laughs> but I mean, just the, the confidence that is, that is growing with, yes. with Furkan and Korkmaz is great. I like the lineup, by the way, when, when Ben comes back, I like the idea. They have the first sub where they bring in, you know, they were bringing in Ennis and, and Matisse. I think they're just bringing in Ennis now, but I like the idea of kind of when Joe and, and Jay Rich come back, I like surrounding them with Neto, Furky and Mike Scott. That that to me seems like a lot of spacing, and hopefully you say to Joe against a backup lineup, you say Joe can handle us defensively, and we have spacing and ball handling with this lineup. I I, I think that has a chance to, to win them some games in the regular
0: season. I would I would love we've been talking about this for so long, and 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 part of this you know we we talk so much about Joe and his turnovers and his you know, letting the offense come to him. Part of that is also that like there's just there's nobody to create a shot for him. There's nobody to create a shot for him. Like even, you know, even Tobias Harris, who's maybe the most natural pick and roll of your of your main guys, the most natural pick and roll player. Like, he's looking to get either to his pull-up spot or to the rim. He's not he's not a passer off the pick and roll. He's not creating a shot for Joe.
1: He made some okay passes the other night,
0: though. Yeah, he'll make some okay from now. But I'm talking like an actual high-level pick and roll creator. The Sixers have never really had that for Joe. And the closest you got was JJ Redick on the DHOs and you lost that. And I do think losing sort of that go-to set hurts the Sixers. And I think it's hurt Joe and how much he put on his plate to create, you know, from pretty much straight up post-ups, which is, is, is a tough way to make a living. And again, for as much as we'll be critical of Joe, in not growing as a passer. It's, it's tough. There's a reason there aren't many post-up bigs. And there's a reason there aren't many teams designing their, their, their offense around that. So I think putting someone like Neto in there, you know, look, I don't want to make it sound like Neto's an incredible player, but he sort of just has that this is what a point guard looks like style of play to him, which the Sixers never, ever, ever have. And would it be great just to like put him in the middle of the floor, run a pick and roll with Embiid and see if, if they can form any kind of chemistry whatsoever? It would be nice to have that. It would be nice to have the shooting around Joe that you just mentioned and see if they can make his life just a fraction of a percentage easier. I agree with you. All right, we'll return to the mailbag in a second, but before we do, a quick word from our sponsor, StockX. Ever wonder how to get the hottest new sneakers? The ones that barely hit the shelves? The answer is StockX, a revolutionary new marketplace for buying and selling 100% authentic sneakers, streetwear, watches, and handbags. Looking to add Air Jordan 1 fearless UNC Chicago to your rotation? Or maybe you're feeling nostalgic for a pair of Air Max 95s. Now you can find it all and more on StockX, sometimes even for prices lower than retail. With StockX, there's no hassle. StockX handles the exchange of every transaction, so you never have to worry about legit buyers or sellers. StockX has you covered. And with StockX, it's all about transparency. Now you can shop smarter than ever using real-time market data for everything on the site. Rest easy knowing you'll never overpay on StockX. In addition to sneakers, StockX allows you to buy and sell pre-owned, excellent condition watches from brands like Rolex, Omega, Tudor, Patek Philippe, Vacheron, Constantine, and more. Want in on all the hype? Check out StockX.com slash bball for a surprise offer that won't be around for long. Once again, that's StockX.com slash bball. And now back to the show. All right. Uh, what do we have here? This one from Rob Zane at Zaner28. What is the optimal guard rotation for the foreseeable future with Cork, Neto, and Burke all showing the ability to contribute and Thibault struggling? Who should the minutes go to?
1: I don't think you want to bury Matisse for too long because I think he has the upside to be a a contributor for a longer time than the rest of these guys. He has the chance to be more than the occasional contributor. So I I, I think he's definitely involved. You have your, your two starters, Ben and Josh. Uh, to me, I like one of the, the point guards off the bench. Two might be a little bit too yep. much, but with, with Ben out, you understood why they did it. So, you know, I, I think like against Charlotte and, uh, if, if Ben is actually out for a few games, playing the two point guards is no problem. But when, when Ben comes back, you, you play one of Haul and, uh, and Trey. And then I think, look, Ennis is not the, uh, the flashiest guy in the world, but, I just think he does enough good things with his offensive rebounding. He makes some mistakes defensively, for sure. There are nights where he just doesn't shoot the ball very well. But I, I would put him in there if you kind of consider him a guard slash swingman. And then Furky would be the other guy. He uh, he has looked like a bomber the last few games, and you know until he starts missing, uh, you you definitely have to play him because he's been crucial for this team.
0: Yeah, you know, you you mentioned Ennis, and and while at times last year I thought he would look completely out of control going to the rim, like on a in transition off of the pump fake drive, now that we watch Matisse, Ennis looks pretty in control.
1: Uh, He's making some of those out of control ones too. Where he is. He is. He he had, he had a couple drives on this trip where I was thinking, "Oh man, what are you doing?" And then it was like, <laughs> "Wow, nice finish. That was that was not an easy one to make."
0: So the, this question comes from. Derek Bodner at Derek Bodner MBA. I have a follow up from that that last one. You know, now that we, from what you were talking about, we saw 48 minutes of natural point guards against Denver last night. We zero minutes of Josh Richardson at the point in a game where Ben Simmons didn't play. Do you think this is these and and obviously Simmons will come back. You won't get 48 minutes of Burke and Neto, but do you think? S- Simmons and then one of those two is how Brown will go for the foreseeable future like I don't want to say like we'll say five games after Simmons comes back do you think he will be sticking with these traditional point guards or do you think in that time frame he will go back to Richardson as a backup point point? and the only reason I limit that time frame is because things could change like these guys could struggle Richardson could play well he could change his mind but do you think that was a sign that they are changing their philosophy
1: I don't have a very expansive answer on that. Just to say yes, I I would imagine that Neto has done enough to, to earn at least the, the 14 to 12 minutes a game that, that Ben sits. And and I I think the offense has flowed just frankly much better. And and I haven't looked at the numbers yet, but I I know that the numbers with Richardson playing backup point guard for the first five or six games of the year were pretty bad offensively. And obviously they looked. Pretty bad. I, I I just think Neto has done enough to to show that he should at least get some minutes. And and frankly, m- moving the rotation to a ten man rotation at the beginning of the season is not the biggest deal in the world. It's probably a, a net positive overall.
0: Yeah. No. Lineup with uh, Richardson at the point shooting thirty nine percent from the floor. Low sample size, only fifty five minutes, but it also sort of jives with what we're seeing. Eye tests, So they're just not generating all that many good good looks and they have a positive net rating like i think it's like a plus one net rating but i'm pretty sure all of those 55 minutes come with and beat on the court so a plus one with them beat on the court is actually pretty disastrous and you're you're wasting time where you should be building a lead you know the defense has been good with those lineups and you expect the defense to be good the question is does it does it outweigh sort of the offensive struggles that they will have And maybe does it outweigh not taking advantage of Embiid offensively the way that you could? And I think there's a more interesting case to be made in the playoffs when teams are so good at exploiting your weakest defender. Although we saw last year, like, both teams in the playoffs didn't really exploit J.J. as much as we would have expected. So maybe you can hide someone. But I think there's more of a case to be made for Richardson at the point in the playoffs in the regular season I would like to see. Both because it would be nice to get you know, a little more structured offense going, but also because just rest Richardson. Like it's a long season for him too. give him a, give him a couple more minutes of, of rest per night and go from there.
1: Speaking of, I do think
0: he's a better shooting guard than point guard though, by far.
1: Yeah. And and I, I think obviously he's going to be a very good piece for this team. Moving forward, The, the stuff he does on the defensive end specifically fits in. Well, he needs to cut out some of these mid Rangers. Yep. These these mid-rangers are garbage, some of these step-backs. And I'm looking, he's uh, 43% of his attempts per cleaning the glass are from mid-range right now. That is up from Miami, although he was, you know, he, he shot, you know, 38% of his, of his shots from there. So he, he does like shooting that shot, but some some of those step-backs, got, you got to cut those out, man.
0: All right, one more. This one from David Sherman at Fills and Thrills. What is causing Al Horford to be playing so poorly at the power forward spot?
1: It's a great question. I, I have no idea. I I think uh, I, I did a stat in one of my posts at The Athletic this week, one of the upon further review posts, his post-ups have been bad. And he, there was – you pointed this out in your article as well. There was a disastrous three-possession stretch in Utah where they, they went to him three times in a row. And I thought the logic from Brown was fine in that Horford was being guarded by Bogdanovich – and they stuck MB in the opposite corner, which you know I, I know isn't perfect, but Gobert is so good defensively. I think you know desperate times kind of sometimes call for desperate measures. They posted up Bogdanovich three straight times, and Horford couldn't score in the post. Yeah. That's a problem. He needs to be able to to bully the the smaller matchups. The part of the reason Brett went nuts about bully ball before the season is that you have Al Horford playing power forward. You shouldn't be able to get away. With guarding him with Bogdanovich, and frankly, you know, one of them was a missed layup, but but other times he's settling for, I don't know, eight foot, ten foot hook shots. Yep, that's not going to cut it. You, you need better than that. Uh, other than uh, other than that, it's it's interesting. I again, I do not, I did not see how the stats changed through the the Denver game, but before that, they were about the same uh, effectiveness whether he was at the four or the five. You're talking they, about the team. Yeah, the team, but they were doing it in completely different ways where well, it,
0: it's okay. So here I got, I got the stats up right now. Um, And this isn't at the four or five. This is with Embiid and without Embiid.
1: That's basically what it
0: it's, is. It's close to the same. He's not playing a whole lot of minutes with, uh, you know, with, with, with Kylo Quinn. So with both of them on the court the team has a plus 10.2 net rating with just Horford on the court the team has a plus 5.7. So it did drop a little bit in that Denver game. It's still pretty good. Like plus 5.7 is. Nothing to sneeze at. But look at some of these these Horford numbers specifically. Just on Al. With Embiid off the floor, he has a 24.3 usage rate. So basically one out of 14 possessions. With Embiid on the court, he has a 12.8% usage rate. With Embiid on the or with Embiid on the bench, he has a 55.9% true shooting. With Embiid on the floor, he has a 26.5% true shooting. So Embiid on the bench, he is averaging 11.7 11.7 field goal attempts per 100 or no, I'm sorry, 24.4 field goal percents per 100 possessions, shooting 48% from the floor with Embiid on the court, 11.5 field goal attempts per 100 possessions, 21.1% shooting from the floor, 20% from three. It is pretty striking. Um, we're talking about what he has, hold on, 78 minutes played with Embiid, 178 minutes played without Embiid. So, we're getting to the point where those numbers aren't completely bogus, but he has and look some of the shots like shooting twenty percent from three versus thirty six point one percent from three when Bs on the bench. I'm not going to put too much stock in those. Like I think those like I, we'll go back to that shot he missed against Denver in the closing seconds. Like that's a good look. He needs to make that shot, but he certainly has looked a lot more comfortable playing at the five. And you've seen like some of the the passing too, which is something that we've talked about before. Um 6.5 assists per 100 possessions when Embiid's on the floor. That's fantastic for a center. That drops to 3 when Embiid's on the court with him. So it is, you know, we talked a little bit when they acquired him that he's been a much better play- offensive player at the 5 and a better defensive player at the 4. And I think there's some to that, but they it would be nice to get a little more out of Al specifically in the shooting. Like he has not been you know, the quantity of three-point attempts with Embiid on the court has not been as high as I think we would have expected. And they, quite frankly, just need to start going into.
1: And I think part of that is just the style of play. He allows you to play at the five and yep. and also who he's playing with. Because when he plays with Ben Simmons and he's at the five, one of Ben's first looks when he's pushing the ball in transition is that trail three to, to Al. And they had some success with it in the games where Joe was out. That that pick and pop is just not the same when Joe is on the floor. They don't really run it at all. I, you know, it's, uh, I think he's, those numbers are going to continue. He's going to be a better defensive player at the four, better offensive player at the five. But I think, like you said, you, you would like him to be a little bit more consistent. And some of that, I think, is just shooting variants. Like you said, that, that, that will get better, but that also ties into, to Embiid and Simmons needing to figure out how to play offensively with the, uh, with the starting lineup. There are, uh, there are still some questions there, and, and a lot to be figured out. But again, I would have said that before the the one and three stretch as well.
0: Yep, for sure. All right, I think that is probably a good enough place. It's been a depre- depressing enough podcast for I a five it was and three fine. team.
1: It was fine. <laughs> Every- um, cheer up everybody.
0: Hey, look, they could win six in a row, and this this podcast will look stupid. But the key will be whether it looks stupid by the end of the season. And, and hopefully it looks stupid then, because that means Embiid and Simmons will have improved upon some of their flaws, and we go in Sizzler. But thank you, Rich, for jumping on, and we will talk to you soon.
1: See you, man.